0: And I think too, T.J. Clune is purposefully. One thing we actually haven't touched on is his books are contemporary fantasy slash romance. Like there is yes a love story as a subplot. I wouldn't say it's the primary plot. There are love stories right. that are the subplot of all three books. I think he purposefully positions himself as a romance writer in the queer space. And so, if we think about, so I've said, women don't often play prominently in the fantasy genre, but Women, sure, as heck, do play prominently overly prominently in the romance genre mm-hmm. and so, if I then criticize my own point is that he's probably actually purposefully not having a lot of female characters because the romance genre is driven by women by female consumers, and those stories need more diversity, and he's he's bringing it to that space, not necessarily the fantasy genre
1: space Agreed. um Absolutely agree,
0: so I retract everything I said he's perfect. <laughs>
1: All right, I can get behind that. It's pretty clear that we love TJ Kloon, right? I mean, that that's that's the bottom line. If we can only come up with one weakness and then we then retract it, it's, it's love.
0: <laughs> Hello, hi, I'm Erin, a mom of three, a hospital administrator in Ontario, Canada, host and founder of the Medium Lady Community and Medium Lady Talks podcast. And
1: I'm Jillian, an Instagram content strategist for bookish people a mom to two, based in buffalo new york together we're bringing you medium lady reads a podcast about reading as self-care a passionate love for the public library and plenty of thoughts and opinions about book culture having its moment so erin hi how are you i'm so happy to be here with you jillian right now how are you i'm good i'm really good this is still nervous a little bit but also like, it's just so fun. And then to hear everybody talking about what they read first, it was just wonderful. So how is your reading going?
0: Uh, My reading, I think is going pretty well. I had a couple of books that I bumped up my TBR. I'm reading, I'm in a really fluid reading spot right now. Like, usually, I have an audiobook, on the go, something digital on the go and a print copy on the go. And right now, I'm trying to make those work a little bit more harmoniously together, whereas usually I just like fill the slot in the docket. So right now, I have a pretty academic audiobook on the go called Enlightenment Now by Steven Pinker. Um Steven Pinker is what would you even call him? He's like an academic cognitive social scientist.
1: I'm not familiar.
0: He wrote this book called A Whole New Mind. Anyway, it's very academic. It's very dense, but I am I was curious about it. So I have that on audio. It's like a 20-hour audio book. I might not, not finish it. It might become a DMF. But, um, and then I had Piranesi, which I had alluded to in our last episode on the go on print. And I felt like Piranesi is a really interesting kind of read. I hope I get to bring it to the podcast in the future. But I felt like I needed something really sweet to balance out Piranesi and Enlightenment now. And I went with Emily Henry, the digital copy of Emily Henry's Happy Place. And so that's how my reading's going right now. I just finished Happy Place. I still, I'm going to have to put something really sweet back in that slot because I just finished Piranesi, but I'm diving into a new book that I think is going to still be kind of like more literary fiction. Um, So I guess it's also becoming like audiobook, digital print, but also literary fiction, contemporary light fiction, and maybe like a dense nonfiction. That's kind of how I'm, I feel very balanced right now. That was a long answer. The short answer is I feel really balanced in my reading.
1: I love it because, you know, I have always, always, always done one personal development and then my, the rest of them are fictional and they're not like a specific type of fiction. They're just maybe on the Kindle or audio or whatever. But I love that you do it based on the genre like that. I think that's really smart.
0: I mean, it's something new I'm trying. And my my biggest like lesson is to just like when it's work, when it's working, let it work. Yeah. You know, Uh, Jillian, how's your reading
1: going? Really good. I also very recently finished Happy Place. That's actually one of the books that we'll be talking about in a future episode that I'm excited about. I love that book. And I feel like I am on track to hit my nine book goal because I'm just about to finish Yellow Face, which it's good. It'll have to come up in another episode, but um, <laughs> I'm at that'll put me at eight. And then if I finish uh, my personal development book, that'll be nine, which I'm just about done. I have like 30 pages left in that. So I'll be right on track. So yeah, this um, past month or so has been really, really good for my reading.
0: Yeah. You know what? It's fun to kind of check in. But withhold yeah. reviews. Yes, it's hard though. To we do no, it is hard. It is hard. Well, thanks for checking in. Let's get into the meat of the episode. Today's episode is going to be a love letter to my favorite contemporary author, and yours too, I think, Jillian. Right? We're going to yes. talk about T.J. Clune.
1: I adore him. He currently has been my favorite author since I read Cerulean Sea in July of 2021. I think there's something to be said about the way he writes, the vibrant stories and everything, which we'll get more into. But yes, I absolutely adore him as an author. Uh, here's a little info on T.J. Klune himself. He is an American author of fantasy and romantic fiction featuring gay and LGBTQIA plus characters. His fantasy novel, The House in the Cerulean Sea, is a New York Times bestseller and a winner of the 2021 Alex and Mythopoeic App Awards. Klune has spoken about how his asexuality influences his writing. His novel Into This River, I Would Drown, won the Lambda Literary Award for Best Game Romance in 2014. I have often wondered what his name, TJ, stood for, so in my prep for this episode, I made sure to uncover what it actually meant, just just because I like, you know, knowing all that fun stuff. His name is actually Travis John Clune. and another thing I found really interesting about him is that he got into writing as a child in the 80s by writing fan fiction for his favorite video game at the time which was Metroid. I would personally love to read some of those stories today. I I wonder if he even still has them. But when I was a kid, Metroid, the Game Boy version only, was one of my favorite games as a child. We, we had gotten a Game Boy secondhand somewhere, and one of the games that came with it was Metroid. So I had a lot of fun with that. But we were only allowed 15 minutes a day to play video games when we were kids, mainly because there were three of us to like pass it around to at the time. And then eventually there were four of us to pass it around through when you were a kid, were you ever a video game person?
0: Not as a kid. No, not at all. And actually when I was a kid growing up, we didn't even have cable TV. We had bunny ears. So we got like three, maybe four channels. So my like general consumption of pop culture was typically through the library and Mm. whatever we could get on VHS, but we never, I never had a game boy. We never had a system. Uh and it wasn't until I married my husband Nick, who is an avid video game player, that video games have become a huge part of my life, like my adjacent life. And so a lot of those 80s throwback video games that people have like really warm nostalgia for, I I don't have that like childhood experience, but I love learning this about um TJ Klune.
1: Right? It's so fun.
0: It is. Yeah, you know, and it <laughs> and we're going to really go into TJ Klune's books, but it's nice to ground ourselves in the person too because that person is bringing their full selves when they're writing their books. Yeah. Thanks, Jillian, for giving that intro to T.J. Klune, because I think that's yeah. going to ground us in the conversation. We're going to talk about three specific books of T.J. Klune's that those aren't the exclusive, the only titles in his in his repertoire. We're going to talk about the most recent contemporary adult novels. He has some young adult fiction as well as short stories. Uh, we're going to be talking about The House in the Cerulean Sea, which was released in March 16th of 2020. Jillian, like what a tough hang. <laughs> I know, I know. Basically the day the COVID pandemic hit, and then Under the Whispering Door was released in September of 2021, so about a year and a half later, TJ Klune's most recent book, In the Lives of Puppets, came out in April of this year, 2023. And I read that, you read that. I read In the Lives of Puppets way too fast, but it did not disappoint, and that third book, those 3 books in a row, 5 stars each just sealed the deal for me. TJ Klune is like top of the top. So we're going to do a little bit of plot synopsis. We're going to talk about these three books as a body of work that we love. And in the case that you haven't read them, because we are going to kind of talk back and forth between them, uh, we'll give you sort of a quick overview of all three. So the first book, The House in the Cerulean Sea, centers around acceptance and family and features main character Linus Baker. I want you to picture James Corden playing this character, working for the department in charge of magical youth. For work, Linus travels to a remote island to assess the well-being of three particularly extraordinary youth and their guardian, Arthur Parnassus. I want you to imagine Benedict Cumberbatch in this role. As he sends his weekly reports, more and more is revealed about the children, Arthur and the home, with the plot balancing on Linus's choice to remain loyal to his work or to give in to the secrets of the island. The second book, Under the Whispering Door, is focused on grief and death. It starts with Wallace Price, coming to the life-changing realization that he might probably definitely be dead. And I cast Benedict Cumberbatch as Arthur Parnassus. I also cast Benedict Cumberbatch as Walter Price. Although he is dead, he is not ready to cross over and spends his time reflecting on his life at a tea shop in the woods hosted by ferryman Hugo, along with his Reaper May and a cast of other ghosts. In terms of Hugo, I want you to imagine um, Chitty from The Good Place, The actor's name, I'm misplacing the actor's name right now. Yeah, I
1: can't. I I know who you're talking about, but I can't think of his name either.
0: And casting for May, I want you to imagine Aquafina. While there, Wallace seems to settle into a new way of living. But when the manager visits, he gives Wallace a deadline to decide between death and afterlife. And then finally, In the Lives of Puppets. In the Lives of Puppets was the hardest book for me to summarize, but I'll try. Built on themes of humanity, invention, and discovery, as well as coming of age, this book is about Vic, son of Giovanni Lawson. I want you to imagine Timothée Chalamet as Vic, who lives in the forest, living off the land, and spending most of his time in his workshop with his robot best friends Rambo and Nurse Ratchet. When Vic rescues a robot named Hap from the scrapyard, it starts a series of events that begin his hero's journey to discover more of the world that surrounds him and to understand what makes a person truly human. I couldn't cast
1: Hap in my head. But maybe you can, Jillian. I um, I almost feel like it has to be somebody tall and uh, Jeffrey De- Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Yes,
0: yes. So I pictured the Jeffrey Dean Morgan lookalike, who is called Gerard Butler.
1: Yes, 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 yes.
0: That's who I imagine. So we're like very similar vibes on yep. on the casting of that. Okay,
1: very. <laughs> Before we go any further, I have to say you are incredible at casting people. <laughs> I know, like I never when I read my books, I never did that. Like I never really cast characters in my head. But we've done that in our group chat a bit and then now you're doing it in, in the, you know, podcast and it's brilliant. Like everybody you're mentioning, uh, especially Wallace Price, like is Benedict yeah. Cumberbatch. That's that yeah. is absolutely yeah. perfect. <laughs> You're really good at that.
0: Oh, thank you. I would encourage anybody when you find a book that you love to cast the characters, to imagine the soundtrack, to make the food, to just completely immerse yourself. I think I have a podcast episode or two about that Uh, from last summer, I think, extending your reading love, extending a book after you loved it or something like that. I'll try to link it in the show notes. So those are the three books. House in the Cerulean Sea is the island with all the kids. Under the Whispering Door is Wallace Crossing Over, Choosing Between Death and Life and In the Lives of Puppets, which is a really different, challenging book to summarize, but it's essentially about humanity and what makes a human human in a world that's populated by robots entirely. Jillian, how would you rank these three books?
1: Oh, my goodness. I don't even know where to start. I love the way this man writes. I'm telling you, I'm obsessed. His words are always so vibrant, and colorful, even in the drab space, like how he describes things in the City of Electric Dreams, which is the uh, part of the scene in In the Lives of Puppets. He paints this picture that my mind feels like it's in a bright, colorful playground. It's, it's unbelievable. I love to sit back and let his words wash over me. For me, that is the perfect way to describe it. I remember when I was reading House in the Cerulean Sea, I could almost smell the seawater that Clune was describing. Or the smell of the tea in the tea house and under the whispering door. Or feel the electricity running through the lines and in the lines of puppets. I can't think of a single other author who can write in this way, at least for me.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm totally with you. I think his writing is absolutely standout and captures the reader immediately where they are. And the language is so accessible, but so beautiful that it really keeps you turning pages and not wanting to do anything but live in the world that he's building. Yes. The House in the Cerulean Sea was the first one that I ever read. I think it will always stick with me for that reason. I did really love Whispering Door, which I think is definitely a fan favorite. But actually, Jillian, In the Lives of Puppets is my second favorite. So if I had to rank them, I just really loved all the futuristic elements. I love the references to Pinocchio. I love the references to The Wizard of Oz. and I love nurse ratchet who is a nurse but not a nurse picture like if r2d2 could talk and had like a screen for a a face
1: and a bit of an attitude
0: a lot of bit of an attitude (laughs) she is a nurse that i would love to work with that's for sure
1: to answer your question of the three novels for me under the whispering door is my number one Um, And if you know me, you've probably heard me talk about this a lot. It has been my number one since it came out in 2021, and it has moved me beyond words. I actually literally just started listening to the audio version of it this morning. Um, My husband took the kids to the playground, and I was able to shower with with the story rolling, and it was perfect. In my prep for this episode, I learned that TJ Klune actually wrote this book to help process his grief over losing his husband to cancer. Which, if you've read the book, you understand how beautiful and devastating that is all at once. But if you haven't read the book, that alone is very, like, heartbreaking and beautiful. Learning that it solidified this book as my number one, no question. I bawled my eyes out when I read the book, and I started crying when I learned why Clune had actually written the book last night.
0: Yeah, I couldn't believe that when you texted that to me. It was like, oh, because I also... I felt like Under the Whispering Door was the fuzziest to me. So in prep for this episode, I also recently finished Under the Whispering Door on audio. Um, And we can actually touch on that audio narration maybe a little bit later in the episode. Um, But I was immediately took my breath away knowing that he wrote that to process his own grief.
1: Beautiful. The theme of this book is death. So it's definitely not a novel for everyone. It discusses death in a lot of different ways. So just be sure to do some research to ensure it's the right book for you before you pick it up. I will say that despite the theme being death, it is beautifully written. If you can write a book about death and have it be beautiful, Clune has done that. As for the other two, I'm really struggling to rank them because they are both so beautiful in their own way. I bawled profusely through the ends of both of them, no question. But if I had to choose, I would say that The House in the Cerulean Sea would be my number two. The imagery in that book is astounding. It's beautiful, beautiful plus the book's theme of chosen family and acceptance and inclusion play a special role in my heart. Our world is hurting so much these days that reading and learning how to be more accepting of everyone, no matter who they are, what they look like, is incredibly important. It's hard for me to list In the Lives of Puppets as number three because I really and truly did love this novel. I rated it five stars on Goodreads, and I'm now comparing other books to it to determine whether it's a five-star read or not but Clune's other two books hold such a special place in my heart that it feels impossible to replace them. Here's the other thing. Even though In the Lives of Puppets is my number three, if someone were to ask me which novel they should read first, I would likely advise them to start with Puppets. Because of the theme of that novel being free will and the essence of humanity and its ability to experience emotions, it feels pretty perfect for today's world. Oh, that is a good recommendation.
0: I would say... I would I would stand behind your recommendation. I think the best option is to start with number three because I think that it is it is very topical to today's world, even with the advent of chat GPT and some of the rapid advances in technology, you know, the Neuralink that um, Elon Musk has recently announced and Microsoft has this new like vision tech and all of these things are rapidly happening to us right now that they make us sort of like question the humanness of our world as technology plays an ever increasing and ever present part of our lives. And this book doesn't necessarily answer those questions, but brings a beautiful sort of fantasy lens to that question. So we've reviewed these three books. Let's talk about a few of TJ Klune's strengths so you can get a sense of what's so compelling about his books. And I think the other great thing is that Jillian and I love TJ Klune. For similar but different reasons. So we're hoping that the two of us as readers can convince you for whatever your sweet spot might be, that T.J. Klune has something to offer you in your reading life. The one thing I put down here is contemporary magic. So I have long felt that if you need magic books in your life, you probably are or were a Harry Potter fan. And if you are a Harry Potter fan, or you were a Harry Potter fan, then you're also likely wrestling with the she who would not be named, and her heinous bullying and persistent anti-trans rhetoric on Twitter and in the press. And you might feel like, as you wrestle with that fact, that this leaves you with a gap in your life of the joy that magical books can provide. But Jillian and I are here to tell you that gap can be filled to bursting by the many contemporary authors who are writing fantasy books about magic. And T.J. Klune does this in the best way, in my opinion. He's writing very similar to the Harry Potter books about magic in contemporary times, except for in the lives of puppets, which is happening sort of in like a near future. But there is magic happening around us in the world that we're that we're in today. This is not high fantasy. You don't have to do a lot of world building. You can jump right in with your contemporary references and this idea that The world is a little bit more magical than you might have wanted to believe, and I think that's one of the things that people find so special about Harry Potter is imagine that wizards and witches are living right among us, and TJ Klune does the same thing with the same kind of contemporary setting. The second thing that I love about all of TJ Klune's books is the supporting cast. Jillian, this always takes a book to five stars. If I've got a book that's four stars, it's probably because the supporting cast did not make me fall in love with them. A five-star book to me generally has a supporting cast that's as alive and vibrant as the main protagonist. While the three books are all different, they all have extremely lovable supporting casts. Cerulean Sea is my favorite of the three. I don't know if I said that before. I think I did. Because I have a weak spot for authors who write children particularly well. And this book features a totally sparkling cast of magical misfit children All of the books feature really well thought out and immediately recognizable supporting casts. Jillian, those are the strengths that I've highlighted. What do you think are TJ Klune's
1: strengths? So for me, I think I've mentioned this two other times, but his writing is one of his biggest strengths for me. The way he writes scenes and characters in his books, they just, they come alive. And I can almost promise you that if you haven't read one of his books, if you pick it up and read it, you'll completely understand what I'm saying here. It's been a few years since I read Cerulean Sea, but I can still vividly picture Marsyas Island Orphanage and the surrounding island. I can smell the sea that Linus, who is the main character experiences as his train gets closer to the island. And it's the same for Under the Whispering Door and for In the Lives of Puppets, the words and ways he describes people places just brings them alive in my mind. So we know that no one is perfect, but we thought we would also not just touch on the good stuff, but on some of his minor, very minor weaknesses.
0: And I'm going to say, I proposed this to Jillian. I said, okay, let's talk about strengths and weaknesses. And Jillian, your first response was, I can't. I can't talk. There are no weaknesses.
1: I I literally, (laughs) this, it's silly. It's so silly. It might sound silly to somebody, you know, people, you know, your favorite authors, but there's always something, Right. But I was having a really hard time thinking of weaknesses for him. Uh, His writing is inclusive and welcoming, heartwarming, heartbreaking, descriptive, colorful, which are all things that are perfect for me. But because I wanted to be objective and I wanted to do my due diligence, I Googled TJ Klune weaknesses just (laughs) to see if I could find anything that I might agree with. And I didn't find anything. There is when you get into yours, you know, there's some that I can I see. Absolutely. but like. There's nothing. There was nothing I could come up with. Well, I think it is important to
0: acknowledge his books are pretty close to perfect. (laughs) it's as five stars as five stars can get this is really just a thought exercise that jillian and i we really want to give you as our listeners a chance to get a little bit of a less biased author overview sort of we're we're gonna maybe say this is the one thing you might want to pay attention to but still read all of his books read them now the only thing that has jumped out at me time after time after time and it's more of a wish than a weakness is the women in his books are somewhat one-dimensional and they don't need women specifically the books don't need women but it is something i notice because in paying attention to the books that i'm really drawn to over time those are usually books about women there are a few minor characters in his books that are women the strongest female character he's ever written is may who is a character in the whispering door and i love may But that is really not something that would make his work better. I think it's just something that is an individual preference for me. And I also think, if I'm going back to that Harry Potter comparison, a lot of contemporary magic books in the genre um, often feature men and boys prominently. And maybe Mm -hmm. that's something I need to do a better deep dive on personally, is to find the contemporary fantasy authors that are writing about girls and women.
1: Yeah, honestly, those are when... I was thinking about it. That was the only thing I could come up with that there are very few women in his stories. But if you go through and you do your research and you look up about him and why he does and writes about what he does, mm-hmm. it makes sense. Like totally does. You know, we shouldn't exclude women entirely, but there's like reasons. So I yeah, I absolutely agree that that is a slight weakness, but it's ever so slight.
0: <laughs> and I think too, TJ Klune is purposefully, one thing we actually haven't touched on is His books are contemporary fantasy slash romance. Like there is a love story as a subplot. I wouldn't say it's the primary plot. There are love stories that are the subplot of all three books. I think he purposefully positions himself as a romance writer in the queer space. And so if we think about... So I've said women don't often play prominently in the fantasy genre, but women sure as heck do play prominently, overly prominently in the romance genre. Mm -hmm. And so if I then criticize my own point is that he's probably actually purposefully not having a lot of female characters because the romance genre is driven by women, by female consumers and those stories need more diversity. And he's, he's bringing it to that space, not necessarily the fantasy genre space.
1: Um, So
0: I retract everything I said. He's perfect.
1: All right, I can get behind that. It's pretty clear that we love TJ Klune, right? I mean that that's that's the bottom line. If we can only come up with one weakness and then we then retract it, it's it's love. <laughs> His writing is fantastical, which we adore. If this conversation led you to pick up one of TJ Klune's novels, please let us know by tagging us in a story or in a post or something on Instagram. Erin is at medium.lady and I'm at Jillian finding happy. Those two will be linked up in the show notes so you don't have to remember them off the top of your head.
0: Oh my gosh. You know what? I actually, I think I'm going to reread In the Lives of Puppets. I just mm-hmm. read it in May. I think I'm going to reread it because number one, talking about Nurse Ratched made me so happy. This is honestly one of the funniest characters I've read in a really long time. She's great. She's so funny. We're saying she, but she's a robot. Yes, yes. And I'm going to do it on audio.
1: I wonder if the um, uh, reader, the narrator, is the same person who does Under the Whispering Door, because he's great.
0: I believe it is. And that's Kurt Groves is the narrator. We're going to introduce a short news segment for this episode, Hot Takes, and our current thoughts on book culture. A hot take is an opinion usually formed off the cuff and with little research, sometimes provocative. And we feel like book culture has a ton of hot takes that Jillian and I can sort of debate and toss around and maybe we'll get you nodding and saying yes, or we'll get you shaking your head and saying, what? That's crazy. And that's okay. That's what we're here for. We want you to be the third person in our conversation. Today's topic for our hot take is Goodreads
1: ratings, trustworthy or trash? Jillian, what is your hot take? Oh, man, like in the grand scheme they're probably overall the majority of them are probably trash but i do personally rely on them and would consider them trustworthy but i kind of i kind of search them out when i see somebody has given somebody a one star if it starts automatically off with them bashing the author or the story i tend to skip them and don't even bother but if it's a one star and it's thought out and and actually gives some real substance i absolutely will give it the time of day because maybe it is a one-star read but part of this for me is that my whole reading life for the last like oh my goodness since maybe like 2011 is on goodreads yeah my tbr is on there like i just i can't disconnect that from the reviews so i would have to say trustworthy well what's yours what's your hot take on this
0: i'm i'm gonna say that goodreads reviews are (laughs) mostly trash (laughs) I wouldn't say that the people writing reviews are writing trash. What I consider is actually more the rating system. I do not find a mm-hmm. Goodreads rating to be reliable in the slightest. I find that it's generally never going to give me a good sense of whether a book has merit or not. And some books often get a five star ranking from most readers. If you go into any book, and you see the division of ratings, usually the book has mostly five stars, then a little bit of four stars, then some three stars. And so I find that most rankings on Goodreads are generally sitting at the like high threes, low four. And I just think it's not going to give me a good indication of the merits of the book. I also know and I feel like a lot of Goodreads and and this I understand actually is that when an author is releasing a new book, what they really do is encourage people to rate it. And there's a huge sub market for advanced reader copies, which are Mm -hmm. called ARCs. Listeners may know that a lot of people get ARCs, which are advanced reader copies. This is in advance of the publishing date, in advance of when the book gets in the hands of the general public, and they're encouraged to read and review the book. Now, that's not exactly transactional, but I will tell you, as somebody who's received an advanced reader copy, is I was tickled pink and very happy to have that book before the release date, and it definitely probably influenced my my rating of the book. So I do feel like sometimes some things can get a little bit bloated in terms of ratings. Um that being said, if we look at TJ Klune, The House in the Cerulean Sea has a rating of 4.43, which I would agree with. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that's very yeah, good. Absolutely. It's almost half almost half a million ratings. Under the Whispering Door is second at a rating of 4.17, but it has significantly less ratings than The House in the Cerulean Sea, which is surprising. And then In the Lives of Puppets has a rating of only 4.08, and it has less than 20,000 ratings. So it's very interesting to see how many people and who are reading which of these books. Um, Obviously, you get probably a better distribution uh, the more people rate it. But um, I don't know. I just feel like that these ratings are most books on Goodreads have about a four, a rating of about a four. that's been my experience and I just don't find it reliable.
1: Yeah, I get
0: it. I would rather spend my time listening to podcasts like this one or like, you know, currently reading or uh, what should I read next or the Substack podcast and get a sense of who's out there reading and reviewing that's a match to my taste.
1: Yeah, I I completely agree with you. I and I am very guilty. This is probably 2023 is the first year where I've actually been more mindful of the ratings that I'm giving people on on Goodreads simply because if I enjoyed a book, if I didn't have any big major gripes with it and it went fast, I gave it a 5 because I just I love yeah. books so much, so it was easy for me, for me to do that. But this year I've actually been taking the time to, you know, pull out and annotate and kind of notice when I'm not loving a book. Mm-hmm. So I can absolutely agree with you when you say that people are just A lot of people are just giving five stars because that's just what they give.
0: They're like, yay, books, five stars. (laughs) (laughs) Next one. I I see your point. Yeah. But I do also use Goodreads. So I'm not saying Goodreads is trash. I'm (laughs) saying I don't think the Goodreads ratings, and I certainly don't want to upset anybody. I don't think the Goodreads ratings help me decide what to read next. Yeah. That's my hot take.
1: And I think think that's a good idea. I think that's really good because if you are relying on what you read from just what people are saying about the book, you really might miss an amazing book to you because mm-hmm. if you read the reviews on some of the under the whispering door reviews on um, Goodreads and you see, you know, it's you read the description and it's about death. You might not even give it the time of day, but it's, it's so beautiful that it's worth it. So it it's you got to like take into account your own interests and things that you love before you make a choice. So yeah, that's our hot take. All right, we're going to wrap up with our holds list. Aaron and I are very passionate about the library and since we're both avid readers and we both have a pretty active holds list. Since we don't hear a lot of other book podcasts, TikTok or Instagram talking about actively using the library, We wanted to bring it to our podcast and offer something new for our bookish community. With that said, Erin, I'm dying to know what is on your holds list this week.
0: So today I am pulling up my holds list for print copies at the library. I have a holds list for print copies and a hold list for digital. So currently right now I have 11 books on hold at the library. Two are ready for pickup. The first book I have is a book called Jane Steele, which is a retelling of Jane Eyre, except if she's she's a serial killer so (laughs) you may have heard um in episode one of Medium Lady Reads I told this really funny one of my coming of age reader stories which is about being forced to read Jane Eyre one summer and I have not really read Jane Eyre since then so I thought this would be kind of a fun homage to that memory to read a retelling of Jane Eyre um with her as a serial killer so we'll see how that is and then the other book is a book called Aisha at Last which I think is feminist, empowerment, contemporary fiction. Uh, The main character is Muslim by Uzma Jalaluddin. And I'm really excited to pick that up. I kind of stumbled upon that I was reading, I think, an interview with the author has a new book out. So I thought I'd read her first book. And I still have Fourth Wing pending at the library. I think my library is trying to buy more copies. So they have me in this like holding space. But I don't know how many people know this. But Fourth Wing is like, you can't find it anywhere. It's like, the hottest book out there right now. So, uh, if you finished Fourth Wing and you want to mail me your copy, I will pay the shipping to get to read it. Because I don't know, it was at the top of my holds list last time we recorded, and it's still there. I think my library's trying to get some
1: copies in circulation. Yet last night, our one of our friends sent us a TikTok the, from the author that was talking about how the copies with the painted edges. I guess I I haven't actually seen the physical book yet. I mine's waiting for me, but um they're gone they're like the warehouse is completely empty and she said that they um, printed so many so i i just oh my i can't wait to read this book and and understand what is so exciting about it
0: i know i'm so skeptical that like my subconscious will be like we're not gonna buy into this we're (sighs) gonna we're gonna rise above the hype of this book yes (laughs) all right jillian what is on your holds list
1: Currently, I have 13 on hold and four of those are waiting for me to be picked up. So first one is Fourth Wing by Rebecca Yaros, which I'm very excited about because I, can't, I feel like it's, is it over 500 pages? Do we know? I don't know for sure. It's a
0: big brick of a book. It's, it's a bit,
1: it's a hefty. If it's over 500 pages, my library doesn't put a seven day limit on it. Oh, You can have it for the full 21 days. So I'm hoping it's over 500 pages.
0: <laughs> Fascinating.
1: Yeah. And anything under 500 gets the seven day limit for brand new releases. Then I have Hijab Butch Blues by Lamya H., the storyteller by Jody Picoult. This one's for our buddy read for July, which I'm excited to read. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Gender Identity for Kids, a book about finding yourself, understanding others and respecting everybody by Andy Paschier. Mm. This is something that it's a kid's book. Uh, and something I'll be looking at and reading with my kids over the summer. It's a sounded really good. I can't remember where I found it on Instagram, but I can't remember who it was that shared it w- with me. It was probably in a story somewhere. So I'll report back on that one and how it is and um, whether I recommend it or not.
0: I love that. I love those books. Um, we have a couple of them on our home library, but they're also really, really great to access at the library and mm-hmm. happy pride, everybody.
1: Yes. Yes. All right. Well, that wraps up episode two of Medium Lady Reads. Medium Lady Reads is a spin-off of the Medium Lady Talks podcast and Instagram community. You can find me, Jillian, on IG at JillianFindingHappy, and you can find Erin at Medium.Lady for more of our current reads and other shenanigans.
0: And if you like this episode, please share it with another bookish friend or post on Instagram and be sure to tag us. We would be tickled pink to hear from you. Thanks so much for listening.
1: I'm your host, Erin. And I'm your other host, Jillian. Until next time, we hope that your next book finds you exactly when you need it most. We'll talk soon. Bye! Bye!